live from the capital of the Commonwealth, this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Hello there. How are you on this midweek edition of the Sports Huddle? It is a sun-splashed Wednesday. Been a really nice day in the capital city. Temperatures warmed up a little bit. Lots of sunshine. It was a good day to get out and about. A lot of Christmas shopping, holiday shopping probably going on. All that sort of thing. So take a break from all of that and join us now for the next couple of hours here on the Sports Huddle. We have a couple of overriding stories that I think are huge, not only in the sports world, but particularly in our world, in our little corner of the sports universe. I think both of these um, almost complicated stories do impact us and our viewing of sports and our sports entertainment and the business of sports. Uh, And I think they're really pretty big stories that are going down today. So I'm going to get into both of those this afternoon, as well as a couple of interviews that we've got lined up and your calls and conversation as well. 804-327-0888 is the number to get on the air. It's also our text line. Um, All right. I, I don't know if this one has gone under the radar. It hasn't been on the ESPN Sports Center update. Not that that's the barometer or thermometer for the hot topics of the day they've only got 90 seconds to squeeze it all in and i know draymond green is out there that's a big national story we'll try to get to that a little bit later but the one the first one i want to get to um is this overturning by this district judge in west virginia of the ncaa transfer rule and and i think this is going to if it it if it upholds is going to dramatically change college athletics and college basketball particularly because that's what we're talking about right now. So as the background here, you know the NCAA has morphed since um, COVID. Look, I'm going to stay out of how bad the NCAA is. Everybody always throws darts at the NCAA. We know they've screwed up a lot of things uh, along the way. So I'm not even going to go there. But what they landed upon is what I believe college coaches actually were in favor of at one point in time. I could be wrong about that. If I am and you're a college coach or you know a college coach, let me know. That's fine. But they finally landed on you can transfer once and play immediately, right? In in the old days, which aren't that old, you know, decade ago or whatever, you always had to sit out a year. You, you, had, you had a waiver opportunity if it was the most extenuating circumstance. The NCAA might allow you to play right away. But for the most part, in the old days, meaning 10, 15 years ago, if you transferred, you had to sit out a year. A year in residency is what the NCAA called it. Now, that's stupid. They just had to sit out a year. And then they could play. And they didn't lose any eligibility out of the situation. They still had their four total years to play. All right? So now the NCAA goes back on that primarily because of COVID and the unrestfulness of college athletes and all the lawsuits that are out there. And now they compromise by saying the first time you transfer, 
you can play right away. You don't need a waiver. You don't even need the permission of your school. You just go into the transfer portal, and away you go. And we saw what that caused. All right? We had guys and gals moving everywhere all the time. Then they said, all right, you, you transfer a second time, then you have to sit out a year. If you have a multiple transfer, you need to sit, take a take a break, um, hit the brakes a little bit, sit out the year. You're still not losing any eligibility. You still have the same number of years to play and the same number of games that you can play, but you need to sit out one year on the second or third or fourth transfer. Now, today, a district judge in West Virginia, because that was where the suit was filed, uh, the players, Raekwon Battle, who transferred from Montana State to West Virginia, and the district judge said, nope, NCA can't do that. Um, it is a violation of federal antitrust laws. I am not smart enough to know what the violation there is of the federal antitrust law that an organization like College Athletics the NCAA has a rule in place that tries to to I don't quite know how to put it to, to keep us out of the wild wild west quite frankly I think you can tell where I'm headed on this thing so this judge has issued a 14-day restraining order against the NCAA so for the time being for the next 14 days those players that were petitioning to play this year that had to sit out because they were on their second third or fourth transfer are now going to be allowed to play, at least for the next 14 days. The NCAA would have the ability, and I imagine they would, to appeal the ruling. They are not for the time being. They have basically said, we heard the ruling today, and we are notifying our member institutions that those guys that have been sitting out because we did not grant them a waiver, they they can play, at least for the next 14 days. And I know at least Jeff Goodman uh, posted as long a list as he possibly could on Twitter today of all the players who all of a sudden, it's like a jailbreak, are eligible to play immediately and could play for the next 14 days. And then there could be an appeal to a higher court that could reverse it. And I don't know if they're at that point eligible or not eligible. So it it's kind of a mess. And this involves teams in our area. Obviously, Joe Bamasile at VCU is at the top of that list. But there are other guys in the Atlantic 10 who are involved in that as well. Uh, There's one from George Mason. There's one from St. Louis. uh, One from VCU, as I mentioned. So this does impact us. Uh, There's one from Rhode Island in the Atlantic 10 that at least I've seen on the list so far. Uh, And I just, um, again, I, I think this is a negative. I really do. Um, you know, you can argue all you want about the ones that the NCA allowed to play and the ones that they denied the waiver. I, I, I get that, but I think there needs to be some order back in college athletics here. And I'll tell you who the, the big losers in this one will be the schools and the fans of the schools. Because this now means if this goes through and stays this way, and I think this is a reality. I don't think this is like liter- figurative and not literal because we're already seeing it. Guys are on their third and fourth school as it is now. Um, and with no rule in place that at least slows them down to keep them in a school for two years, it's just going to get worse, in my opinion. You're going to see you, what stops a student athlete from playing for four different schools in four different years. I, I don't know that there is anything. 
that stops that at this point. And I think that's a crying shame to the schools, number one, and the fans, number 1A. Uh, So for the schools, I always go back to the Mark Schmidt quote of a year or a year and a half ago, the St. Bonaventure coach, who when all this kind of started and we started seeing, even with the sit-out-a-year rule for the second transfer because the NCAA was granting most of those waiver requests, and then there was some conversation, I think it was amongst coaches, that said, we need to slow this down. Too many guys are going too many places too quickly. Let's slow it down a little bit. So the NCAA came up with an idea to slow it down a little bit. And it still didn't work that great, but with nothing in place now, guys are going to be just crisscrossing the country to play. Um, And Mark Schmidt, the St. Bonaventure coach, said, we no longer build programs, we just build teams. Meaning, from year to year, we're going to have an entirely different team because guys are going to go and guys are going to come. We're going to go in the portal and we're going to find guys to come here and replace the guys that we've lost. And it's going to happen every year. And I think the schools lose in that regard. Uh, For what Coach Schmidt said, coaches won't have the opportunity to have players for three, four, or five years any longer so that they can nurture them along, coach them along, teach them all of that. They're going to bolt after a year with no rhyme or reason, whether they're getting playing time, not playing time, whether NIL is good or NIL is bad, they can do it. So they're so they're doing it. And, you know, there's there's money that schools put into these guys, training tables, weight rooms, uh, the classes that they take, uh, all rehab when they're injured and then they get healthy and they boom, leave, go to another school because they can and they really don't need anybody's permission to do it at this point and then the fans i do feel bad for the fans and i've had some fans already talk to me about this when when a in the in not so old days i really don't want to use that phrase old days because that that just it sounds like i'm resisting change and i'm not resisting change but 10 years ago which really isn't the old days you would get to know the players on those teams because they were there for four years and that was a real benefit to college athletics that you really could root for those those players for multiple years and get to know them and root for them. Now, that doesn't happen. You need a roster every year when you go to a game. And I, I just think it's a bad deal. I, I think at some point someone has to explain to me why it is such a negative that a player has to sit out. I understand there are some cases where the player should play right away, but for the most part, I, I just want to know what the terrible negative is to being on scholarship, to, to going to classes, to being with your teammates, practicing with them, um, learning the culture of the athletic program that you're involved in in the university, and then taking the next year to play a full season. So I wonder about the guys who are eligible today that have missed what is it, basically a third of the season, right? Ten games, 10, 11 games, somewhere around there. They play 31 to 35 games, so that's a third of their season. Wouldn't they be better off just sitting out and playing a full season next year with a whole extra year of practice and weight room and training table and and all of that? I, I just, especially at the level that we talk about more often than not. I know, you know, some of our our schools that we talk about in the power conferences, I get that. But for the most part, we're in mid-major conferences, and after they play college ball, they may go play pro overseas, 
and a handful may get a shot in the NBA or NFL or WNBA or whatever we're talking about. But for the most part, they're not. So if somebody could explain that to me, please do. But I think this is a negative. I think there should be some guideline in place where you can't continue to multiple transfer uh, and hopscotch around from one school to the next without slowing down a little bit and trying to fit in at one institution and kind of leave your mark there. Uh, rather than going uh, to school three and school four in that four- or five-year period. So we'll see where this goes. I think it's going to be tricky over the next 14 days. Do you play these guys? Will the NCAA uh, appeal this ruling? Will it go to a higher court? And if the higher court sides with the NCAA, what happens to these guys who are already playing? I would assume they won't incur any penalties for playing during this window because the judge said they could play. But, again, I just think – it, it doesn't bode well for the consistency of teams and programs in college athletics. All right, so that's one that's on the table today. That That's one of the complicated, I think, impactful stories, sports stories of the day. There's another one that we'll get to, and we'll tell you all about that when we get uh, going here this afternoon. So let's do that. It's already 414 on the Sports Huddle. Let's find out. Uh, I mentioned got a couple guests coming up. Let's find out who they are this afternoon and more of what we've got going on on today's Sports Huddle. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. This is a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by the Henrico Sports and Entertainment Authority. Just want to take another moment as we did yesterday. I want to do it again today because it certainly deserves multiple recognition for folks over there like Dennis Bickmeyer and Don Miller and Heather Grubb and the entire team for partnering with us here at ESPN Richmond to be our presenting sponsor for holiday cheer and gear without the local partners like the ones we have over there at uh, the Henrico Sports and Entertainment Authority. We certainly wouldn't be able to bring community events like cheer and gear home. Uh, home here to the RVA. So it was great to be out there um, at the new facility. The basketball game went great. Our event went great. The cheer and gear went great. So, again, uh, uh, tip of the cap out to the folks at the Henrico Sports and Events Center and at the uh, Sports Authority as well. Remember, if you're interested for a calendar of future events or if you want to book an event in 2024, and Dennis Bickmeyer and the gang warned us the dates are filling up quickly, visit HenricoSEA.com, HenricoSEA.com. All right, the other story of the day. Um, is the announcement by Ted Leonsis and Monumental Sports Group that they're ready to move the Caps and the Wizards to Northern Virginia, to Alexandria, going to build them a brand-new home out there, a big entertainment center uh, to include a 20,000-seat arena, and they are going to leave Capital One Arena in Chinatown in downtown D.C. What are the implications of that for D.C.? What are the implications of that for Northern Virginia? And, oh, by the way, Maybe I'm overthinking a little bit. What are the implications for Central Virginia? And I'll explain that a little bit later as we move on. But at 4.30, Dave Preston from WTOP Radio up there in D.C., who covers sports uh, for WTOP and joins us on a relatively regular basis, is going to join us. We'll get his thoughts and impressions on what this means for the Caps, for the Wizards, for the fan base up there. Look, where they're planning to build this new arena, I think it's about eight miles from the one in downtown D.C. But it's a lot more than that because it's out of the D.C. city limits. It's into a different state, into Virginia, into our state. 
It moves the two franchises that are right there in the middle of the city. What does it mean for the Washington Commanders, who we think are trying to get back into the city? There's an awful lot going into this. It's not totally a done deal, but uh, the city of Alexandria seems to have embraced this one. Uh, our, the governor certainly has. Governor Yunkin was there for the press conference announcement today. They still have some legislative hurdles to get through. Make no mistake about that. But this was a huge step for them today if that's indeed the plan to move the Caps and the Wizards to Northern Virginia and out of D.C. So Dave Preston from WTOP joins us here in about 13 or 14 minutes. Uh, 5.30, had an interview today uh, on tape. Phoenix Sproles, the wide receiver, the North Dakota State transfer with the James Madison Dukes. He's going to join us this afternoon. Really enjoyed the conversation with him. I think you're going to enjoy hearing it. Uh, Terrific young man, great story. Spent five years at North Dakota State, won three national championships, one of them against JMU. He had a 36-yard touchdown against the JMU Dukes and now he's playing in the purple and gold and getting ready for a bowl game in his one year of eligibility with James Madison. He's had a lot going on in his one year in Harrisonburg. So we're going to talk with him about all that and prepping for their bowl game in the Armed Forces Bowl a week from Saturday down there in Fort Worth, Texas. And we've got some uh, programming news on that front that I'll get to here in a couple of moments as well. But those are our guests today. Dave Preston coming up bottom of the hour here at 4.30. Talk about the potential move of the Caps and Wizards out of D.C. to Northern Virginia to Alexandria. And then Phoenix Sproles, wide receiver for James Madison, uh, joins us at 5.30 in a taped conversation from just an hour or two ago. 804-327-0888. Other than that, we are live we are local, and we continue to talk sports with you after the timeout on 1061 ESPN. Let's go right to the phones and squeeze one in before we get to the bottom of the hour. And Dave Preston from WTOP Radio up in D.C. on the possible move of the Caps and Wizards to northern Virginia. Reggie, good afternoon. You're on the Sports Huddle. Always good to hear from you, my friend. You know, Tyler Town, you got me upset again. And you know where I'm going with this. Just look at the Duke, former Duke head football coach that did a Zoom call, a goodbye, a drive-by. He took the big money to Texas A&M. His parents were so upset, they turned their back. And it's not just the men, Bob. I'm talking about the young ladies that play sports. I have said it over and over again. And I'm sure you can talk to people off the air, especially mid-majors. You have student athletes that when a new coach come in, if they don't fit their program, they're jettisoning out the program. So all I'm saying is this is a two-way street, Bob. I hear everybody want to talk about what happened with the students and the transfer to portal. But how about when these coaches come in and all of a sudden the students don't fit their program and they jettison them out? Come on, Bob. When a coach leaves – I do think that should be an opportunity for a student athlete to depart and be able to go to another school and play immediately. I do absolutely, and I think that might even be the case right now. I'm embarrassed to say I don't know exactly if that's the right rule. Uh-huh. But yes, it, no matter whether it's his, his or her second or third or fourth transfer, if there's a coaching change, I do think there should, and I think there is, a window of opportunity for any player on that team to go into the transfer portal and play immediately, even if they have already previously transferred. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, everybody wants to look at the players. The players are the ones that put the butts in the seat. It's not the coaches. I mean, the Havoc is go crazy down there. The Havoc Center because of the play. You hear how passionate fans are called in with the record they have now. 
They're not coming to see the coach walking down the sideline. They're coming to see this, the young athletes. So I'm just saying, Bob, it really gets sad when these student athletes are playing as the villains and these coaches are making big money. I'm not, I'm not painting them as villains, Reggie. In fact, just the opposite. I want them to stick around as long as we can possibly have them stick around. That's all I'm, I'm saying, and, and I just think there's too much freedom of movement here. I do. Yeah, and I don't well, think it's just, I, we, and Reggie, 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 you explain to me why sitting out a year is such a bad penalty and such a negative. Please, somebody explain that to me, and maybe I'll change my tune. Okay, on what reason would a student have to sit out a year? If he's trans, he or she is transferring for the second or third time. And it might be a reason. Like they had one young man. He had a death in the family or they have family issues or sometimes some people their scholarship money runs out or guess what? They might even get homesick. I know that's a dirty word but I want to hear, <laughs> but yeah, these young kids do get homesick. And but you know the, yourself for that, Bob, is training with following the school. Some these but that's kids my point, say, Reggie. Hey, I'm the, go back home. the scholarship is not running out. They're taken care of for that year that they're sitting out and the next year when they will play that full season. But, Bob, I got to challenge you there. The scholarships are not four years. They're year to year. And if the coaching staff say you don't meet the standards, you don't get the scholarship right or wrong. You're not going to find me an athlete that is sitting out a year transferring that they're going to pull that. They're going to, for uh, for no reason at all, they're going to pull that scholarship. They'll never be able to recruit another player to that school again if they do that. They're not. That's not happening. Again, I just... I just want to know, Reggie, what is the negative to the way they're doing it right now? I, I, again, I'm asking it innocently. If you convince me that that's a bad thing and a negative, I'll change my tune. No, I just tell you that the way that a lot of times these coaches come in, and especially in the basketball, and I say, I'm just saying personally, I know some young ladies who have went to certain schools, and I tell you off the air, but I'm not going to say on the air, and they were mid-majors. No, they were not HBCUs. So if the first time you were saying that, no, they were not. But it was some young that. ladies that – no, no, I'm just saying because I always support HBCUs, and I'm proud of it. But I'm right. saying that some young ladies and some young men come in, and guess what? The coach said, you don't fit my style, you're out of here. And the scholarships are year-to-year. They're not four-year runs. They're year-to-year on these scholarships. So when people stop telling the young folks to get a four-year free ride, no, they do not. They only get a year-to-year ride. Most of them, most of them will be able to have that four year. For the same for the reason I just said, right? It's gonna happen to kid. You're right. Okay. I'm sure those cases happen. I gotta run. We can pick this up later. I love this conversation. Uh, okay. But no if problem. you do it but here's the deal. If you do that too many times, Reggie, players aren't gonna go to that coach's school. They're just not. That's the checks and balances there. Thanks, Reggie. Let's run. I got to run here. That's a great topic of conversation. And again, I'm I'm just throwing the gauntlet. I'm throwing it out there. Somebody needs to convince me how much of a negative that is. And again, I, I'm all in on the first time transfer. You know, you didn't like the coach. You, you you whatever. You didn't playing time. Oh, I can get a little more nil if I go somewhere else. 
I'm going the first time. The second time, I need you to slow down a little bit. Let's try and figure this out and why you're jumping as much as you're jumping. Because I'm not a big fan of players jumping that many times. I don't think fans are either. I don't think they want to have to get to know a whole new team every year or every other other year. More on that coming up. Uh, The other hot topic in our area, the Capitals and the Wizards, potentially moving to Alexandria where a new 20,000-seat arena could be on the way for Northern Virginia. We'll talk more about that with Dave Preston from WTOP Sports when he joins us next on the Sports Huddle. All right, just past the bottom of the hour, about 4.32 Sports Huddle. Bob Black back with you, hosting remotely on a Wednesday afternoon, 1061 ESPN. Lewis producing today, and he's got our guest on the air with us for the next segment. Uh, We spent most of the first half hour on one important topic. Let's get to the other that, again, impacts us in our area. The announcement today by uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin from Virginia and Ted Leonsis, the owner of Monumental Sports and the Capitals and the Wizards that there is a plan in place to move the Caps and the Wizards to Northern Virginia to Alexandria where they're going to build this brand spanking new arena 20,000 seat arena with an entertainment component to it and practice facilities and bring those teams out of the District of Columbia and in to the Commonwealth of Virginia. To give us some perspective on that, Dave uh, Preston from WTOP Radio in Washington, D.C., joins us, and we haven't had him on in a while, so this was a perfect time to reunite. Uh, how you doing, Dave? Good afternoon. I'm, I'm doing well, and don't forget, they're uh, also bringing the eSports team, I think, over from uh, D.C. <laughs> to Virginia. Don't, don't lose that uh, crown jewel. Now, if you're an eSport team, can't you just do that from anywhere? Isn't that kind of the definition? I, th- of I, I think they <laughs> might already do that. Yeah. I don't know. No, <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it was a seismic day just because you never you – know, I moved to the area after the Caps and Wizards uh, moved to D.C. So I'm not – even though growing up I knew of the Capitol Center, I knew that they played in Landover for the first uh, 25 to 27 years of, of their existence, uh, depending on the team. But it, it, this is this is a first, and uh, it's it, it is intriguing that uh, they were able to get a lot of work behind the scenes done. And even though things aren't official, and even though 31 years ago I think the uh, the, the Washington football team was saying exactly the same thing, Jack Kent Cook and Joe Gibbs uh, were all set to you know move from RFK to that very plot. Uh, it feels like it's different this time. The the wheels of justice are in motion, and uh, you know there's going to be hockey and uh, pro basketball in the Commonwealth as opposed to the district. It does seem to have more of a positive vibe this time. It seems like the administrators, political administrators in Alexandria are welcoming it. There's always going to be those people that you know, aren't in favor of something. That's that's the world. we. That's America. That's the world we live in. And I know there were even some protesters today about this, but it does seem like there's the positive vibe of Alexandria, of the group of Virginia legislators who worked on this. Now, it's still got to go to the full, the full legislature. I, I understand that, Dave, and they still have hurdles to overcome. But it does appear, though, this is on a pretty fast path, as you pointed out. And I, I also want to, you know, give a shout-out to the, the, the protesters, the homemade signs, have improved by leaps and bounds over the last 31 years. Even yep. though they're using markers, still they're not getting they're not getting them professionally done. They're sparing no expense, and when they when they when they do the 
when they, when they do the thing where the, the S is a dollar sign, they, they, they really, you know, hit the mark right there, too. Absolutely. Is this, um, is this truly a devastating deal to the District of Columbia to lose two tenants of Capital One Arena, Dave? And how does it impact the future of the Washington Commanders, who I think we all know would rather be in the District of Columbia um, uh, territory? I think it's it, it's horrible for that area, uh, the whole uh, Gallery Place metro area. Uh, it's that place built around uh, what was uh, seven different things: MCI Center, uh, Verizon Center, now Capital One Arena. So I, I think it's it, it's sad for that area, but it, it, it's you know I guess in the you know the word you know, progress, you, you move on, you, you lose while you gain a little bit. You know, one area gains while another area loses i think it's unfortunate because you know for what uh you know 82 dates a year mm-hmm. uh granted mm-hmm. there were some games that were farmed out uh, neutral sites what have you but 82 games a year you you had uh, it made uh the chinatown district uh, an event a destination for a lot of people coming from you know maryland and virginia and, and within the district as well so it's going to be a different feel, a different vibe moving forward. We've got five years to get ready for this, I guess. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing uh, to get the traffic patterns and to get the infrastructure and to get uh, the trains running on time uh, for five years uh, down in uh, Potomac Yards. But it's going to take a while, I think, for that area to really uh, prepare themselves for the loss of business, the loss of foot traffic uh, to that area. And to your second point, I think it makes – Getting the commanders an almost must for Mayor Bowser and uh, and the city council. I think they really have to get again. Nobody has to do anything, but I think in order to save face, you you get the commanders, you get the Bergen Eagle back in the district, you get the team that for gosh what uh, forty years was the or close to forty years was the only team. In the district, because uh, previously the Bullets and the uh, Capitals played up in Landover, and they were mostly an afterthought. This was a football town. This was a Redskin town for the longest time, even when we had the Senators playing in the same ballpark, even when we had uh, you know the Caps and the Wiz, uh, the Bullets, you know, uh, contending for championships. People were more concerned about who was going to be the backup left tackle for the Burgundy and Gold. And no, it wasn't going to be Joe Jacoby because he was going to win that starting job all on his own. So mm-hmm. I think this makes it, you know, priority one, two, and three. Find a way to get the commanders to the RFK site. That said, Dave, could D.C., could the mayor, could the council have done anything or could they still do anything? Because this is not yet a done deal. We have certainly uh, emphasized that. But could they have done anything to prevent uh, Leonsis from doing this to encourage him to stay. I know there were reports of $500 million in renovation money coming to Capital One Arena. Uh, it's been pretty well documented. He wasn't very happy with the lease that he had at Capital One Arena. Could D.C. have done anything to prevent this from happening? I think it would have been very difficult to. Yes, they could have caved in and given him everything that he demanded, but I think what he likes about the Potomac Yard spot is that it's new. Just like mm-hmm. yeah, Abe yep. Poland built what is now uh, Capital One Arena, you know, here here's a chance for Ted Leonsis to build something and create something, and not just the arena per se, but that whole city block, that whole entertainment and sports complex 
similar to what I think we have at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, similar to the Crypto.com, the former Staples Center in Los Angeles. I think he views it as a destination, not just on game days, but uh, you know, on concert days and not just when there's an event uh, around. And I think he, he sees what he can put into that area. I don't think he could have gotten... Uh, other businesses to move and, and, and allow him to do the same thing in the city grid. I, there wasn't enough room to do that. I think he was, uh, I had a friend who's a longtime season ticket holder who thinks that uh, when uh, this the, the seeds of this may have started in the Stanley Cup Finals when he went mm-hmm. to Las Vegas and saw what the Vegas Knights had around their arena there and, and, and the possibilities there and maybe that was was the germ that you know gave him you know the the seed of thinking okay what can I put around my product because yes he's got the 82 dates but concert dates as well and what other you know uh, you know shopping retail things of this vein and that and I think he sees a chance to really do something in Northern Virginia where the uh, the, the, the Commonwealth is growing whereas the uh, the district grows but then it recedes and with uh, you know issues of and people are always saying that there, that crime is always going up everywhere and it seems like it is sometimes so I, I don't think uh, I don't think the district I think the district got into the game way too late to keep them appeased and I think just the way that a lot of things are set up the uh, the, the district isn't in the business of you know of embracing businesses the way that the Commonwealth might be Dave, give me, give us a little bit of the lay of the land up there. I've seen more than one place that the new place will be about eight miles from Capital One Arena. Now, we all know D.C. and Northern Virginia and traffic and all of that, but what's kind of the lay of the land of that eight miles? And for the fan, what it's going to be like there, as you mentioned, the, the metro stop is going to be right there. A couple of highways are right there. We understand congestion, but it's an eight-mile difference from one venue to the other. What does that really mean to the fan going to a Capitals game or a Wizards game? I think what concerns me, if I am a season ticket holder, weeknight games. Because you're not, uh, if you're driving in and there is ample parking, and I have friends who metro and drive in, I've metroed and driven in when covering the Wiz and the Caps and the Hoyas uh, over the years. It's what has kind of been nice about going into uh, what is now Capital One Arena is that you're going against commuter traffic, basically. If you live in Arlington or if you live in Fairfax, you're going, you're not going with the rush hour traffic. You're not bogged down in that. Now you're almost kind of going along uh, alongside uh, traffic. So I, for a weeknight game, that's going to be intriguing for people who are used to, and again, you got five years or so to do this uh, to get used to it, but you know, people who used to, you know, get off work at five and then, hey, hop on the metro, go in, or five walk over from whatever your office to the building. Now, if you're coming from home, you got to, you know, you have to, and you are on the Maryland or district side of the Potomac, you've got to find a way to negotiate either with your vehicle, which is going to be tough, uh, or the metro, which is going to be more congested. That's, I guess, kind of what would concern me if I'm a season ticket holder. Weeknight games are, going to be a little of a challenge on uh, the uh, it's uh, from what i understand the potomac yards metro stop is i think uh, one stop south of uh, uh reagan uh, national airport so mm-hmm. i and 
you know, it's, people are used to traveling, uh, or, or people are used to taking the metro to Reagan. So it's not; it's just one more stop from uh, from there. You've got GW Parkway, which is GW parking lot on yep. certain days, mm-hmm. yep. and then you got Route One. Uh, and then you have, uh, I think the, uh, the the Beltway South is going to be under that. So I don't know. You know do they add? Another is there another access road that you'd want to have in there or something along those lines? You'd probably have to pump up, uh, you know, the the metro service on game days, just like you do for Nationals Park, because mm-hmm. where, where, where the, the green line is is pumped up uh, big time uh, to take fans from what is Lafont Plaza, which is the main, uh, you know, changing point. So you, I I would assume that. You'd have uh, it's uh, for those who are in Richmond is like, what's he talking about? Blue line, yellow line. Oh, uh, so you've got one line that comes in from that hits uh, Reagan National from the uh, city that goes across the Potomac, and that's the yellow line. And the blue line comes uh, straight down from Arlington. So you've got two basic uh, two trains that will take you from anywhere else to Reagan, and then of course uh, a stop or two south Potomac Yard. So. That's it's going to be a trial and error, I'm sure, and I'm sure they're going. To, I'm sure we've got civil engineers doing dry run-throughs and focusing on traffic patterns. So I think with five years out, a lot is going to be solved between now and then. It's going to take some getting used to, used to, I'm sure, for fans to get used to a new arena. And I think as the Caps by 2028, we'll be going through a rebuilding. Uh, stretch. You know, there's no avoiding that. The Wizards, who knows how good or bad they're going to be. They haven't won 50 regular season games since 1979. So who knows how good these teams are going to be at that point in time. And also, you're going to a new place where you don't have the memories of Alex Ovechkin. You know, I think just like a lot of fans may have fallen by the wayside when they left our when the Redskins left RFK for Jack Kent Cook Stadium and FedEx Field because this isn't where John Riggins played. This isn't where you know Billy Kilmer and and and, and Sonny threw footballs and Joe Theismann you know helped us you know get to the Super Bowl. So I think there's going to be a, a it's sad that people are going to leave their memories in D.C. and won't carry them as much with uh, the new arena. Um, real quick, Dave, um, before we wrap up with you, you kind of inadvertently made, I think, a, a pretty good point when you were detailing the metro system and you mentioned, you know, Richmonders uh, may not understand what you're talking about. I think just the opposite. I think Richmonders, and, and Ted Leonce has said this today, that their territory begins in Richmond and works its way all the way up to basically to Baltimore. But I think Richmonders understand the metro system. We, I use it. I knew exactly what you were talking about, whether it's to go to the airport or it's to go to a Nats game or to Capital One Arena. I think that's a positive for the residents and citizens of Virginia that they will be able to use mass transportation from even from Richmond or Fredericksburg or wherever uh, to get there. So uh, from that perspective, I do think it's a positive. And that was a great point, I thought, that you just made. And I'll finish with something that's a little bit inconsequential. Uh, do you think these will still be the Washington Wizards and Washington Capitals? Or do you think we're going to have to get used to the Virginia Wizards and the Virginia Capitals? I, I think it will want. I think you got to keep it Washington. I mean, yeah. because they were in Landover for years, and sure. in fact, remember when I, they were first called the Capital Bullets because yep. oh, it's got to be yep. the city name. There are no, as long as the Jets and uh, Giants play in New Jersey, mm-hmm. as long as the Cowboys play in Arlington, <laughs> as long as the Forty ers play in Santa Clara, which is 
basically like you're going to Manassas and or you know, <laughs> maybe even beyond. Maybe you may as well be playing in Percival. You know, uh, it, it, it's. I think people are going to be okay with the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals. It'll just. It, it's for after having been one of the teams that plays in the city that it's named for. It's. It, it was cool to have that, but it's. It's. We're we're back in the club where uh, you know we're of the Jets, Giants, Cowboys, mm-hmm. and and those teams now. Good point. Good point. And again, not all that inconsequential at this point. Uh, great stuff there, Dave. I, I think you have sorted a lot out for us down here in the capital city. So we appreciate it. We're going to keep our eye on this story for a while now. I'm sure, as you said, got five years to, to get it done. And, hey, the next time we talk to you, we'll actually talk about the games on the ice and the court and the field. All right? Hope so. Sounds good. Thank you, Dave. My pleasure. And just a reminder, the shovels have not been purchased yet. Correct. You're right. Those golden <laughs> shovels, the first first dig in the dirt has not had. It's a great great ending point. Thank you, Dave Preston from, from WTOP. Yes, there are still hurdles that will be bought and placed that they have to get over before they can buy the shovels to dig the dirt to start construction of the new arena and the new entertainment center. There's also an aspect of this that hits home a little bit closer that I'll get to after the break, and if we don't have enough time till we get to the top of the hour, I'll do it when we cross over to 5 o'clock. But this arena does hit home with a project right here in the capital city, Henrico County area. I think you know what I'm talking about, and maybe I was overthinking it earlier today, but I did do a little talking about it, and I'll talk about it with you when we come back in a moment. Sports Huddle 1061 ESPN. So I was probably overthinking this a little bit this afternoon as I was driving around, but I did wonder what the impact of this new arena in Alexandria could potentially have on one just a little ways down the road here in Henrico and the um, the Green City Arena, for lack of a better uh, name for it at this point. The 17,000-seat arena that has gotten a lot of us, yours truly included, very excited about bringing a new arena to our area after the colossal failures we had with the Coliseum. And I was kind of like, uh-oh, what what is this going to mean? Is this project still going forward? What's the deal? So I reached out to some folks kind of in the know And I was pretty much assured that Green City is moving forward, that some things have even happened almost as we were speaking, you know, in the recent past few days and weeks and in the upcoming recent new week and month that are going to have this project moving forward on its timetable, ironically enough, to be about the same as the new arena in Alexandria, maybe a little ahead, right around the same time, 2027, 27, 28, somewhere in there. Uh, but that the Green City Arena is still very much on track and will continue. The only concession that I kind of heard was that the competition was going to be greater, that you're going to have not not necessarily the geography of it, because as we said, it's only eight miles apart from Capital One Arena. But what Dave just said, it's new. It's brand new. People are going to want to go there. It's 20,000 seats instead of 17,000 seats. So there'll be some competition for events in those buildings. I think there's plenty of entertainment.